live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. It's just embarrassing. I don't know why the high voice ever. What's out. happened? Like the last couple of weeks, you've been like randomly critiquing your own voice during yeah. our rejoins. Just it's embarrassing. I, mean, I don't know what happened. This is the press box. He's just doing his own self critique. He's just listening to these rejoins, oh, disgusted in his own voice. Apparently, yeah. the only thing I'm not disgusted is whacking that thing around because it is me. With Grady and Bischoff. He literally, it's the exact same. It's, like, it's the exact same. Thing. Ed was, a, was an actor at one point. He could make voices. <laughs> Child actor. On ESPN Las Vegas. Whacking that thing around. That. You got to remind me that how Schroeder killed me. I didn't bring up that. No, but it just it just comes into my mind each time I hear that. <laughs> Schroeder. That's that's your own brain doing that to yourself. Yes, I know. My you, brain does a lot of things to myself. You can't remember your own past without a bad memory <laughs> flooding in. It's your problem. Oh, it's a Friday. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Best day of the week. Here we go. The First Bite. First Bite today is brought to you by McDonald's. Is Jim Harbaugh friends with Mark Davis? You got McDonald's this morning? It did. Oh, all right. Where were you? McGriddle? Of course. There's nothing okay. else well to done. get at McDonald's for the morning. There's syrup in the pancake breading. It's amazing. He's, he is right. It is. Is it? I, I think we've just, I thought, didn't we decide at one point we're going to have McDonald's delivered here so we Ed can eat that. a McGriddle? <laughs> we should do that. McGriddles are great. He's eating his plain toast and banana. <laughs> With the cold frappuccino. All right. Are they, are they actually friends? I think they're friends. Jim Harbaugh and Mark Davis. Or is it Jim Harbaugh was friends with Al Davis, and we're all just oh. assuming he's friends with Mark Davis, That's a too. good point. We're assuming. Okay. I, I've never heard. I mean, Jim Harbaugh's first job uh, was with the Raiders, with Al Davis. Um, you're right. I've never heard, like, Mark Davis talk about Jim Harbaugh okay. or anything like that. Okay. I just, it, it's been brought up a few times, right, that, oh, he knows Mark Davis. They're friendly, right? And Vinny Bonsignori wrote a story in the Review Journal that, you know, outlined some of the history that Harbaugh had with Al Davis, but not with Mark Davis. Like, there's no anecdotes of, hey, Jim Harbaugh and Mark Davis did this or whatever. There's anecdotes of Jim Harbaugh and Al Davis, but none of Mark Davis. So I think we are just assuming there. I also don't know that that matters. If he's friends with him? Yeah. I don't think it matters. I mean, is he going to be friends with whoever he hires if it's not Jim Harbaugh? I would hope for I mean, at least a short period well, of time, I, I hope so. I, I, I would hope he at least likes the person, because yeah. <laughs> if he doesn't, that'd be a weird hire. But I don't think it This guy's a jerk. <laughs> would you like him. me to pay you several million dollars? Press conference at noon. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any way it's the relationship he had with John Gruden. But, you know, he was obviously as... You know, everyone knows extremely, extremely close to his dad. So, if his dad really liked Harbaugh, I would think there's a. I think I would think there's a better sense than not that he would like Jim Harbaugh just because of the relationship with his dad. The interesting detail from Vinny's story in the RJ about Jim Harbaugh was this line: "The sense is he isn't looking to have complete control if he decides to back to the NFL, which would effectively mean." that you could hire a general manager and that general manager could actually make decisions on his own. And the Jim Harbaugh would just be the coach of the roster he's given that. I mean, have the Raiders ever functioned that way? Like in the time they've been in Vegas, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's how this uh, organization works. Do you believe that? Like if you're Jim Harbaugh 
and you're leaving Michigan to come back to the NFL. Are you coming back to just be a head coach? I'm not sure I do. I mean, I don't know Jim Harbaugh from the wall, but if you're leaving that job and you know you have all the leverage, which he would in any kind of negotiation, all he wants to do is all he wants to do is coach. He doesn't want to have a say in personnel. Or maybe he believes he doesn't need to work all the hours and do all the you know the player personnel uh, decisions and still kind of have power to where they're like, well, if it comes down to player A or B in the draft. My preference is, you know, player A and wink, wink, this is who we better get instead of having to watch all the film and, and do all the things that, you know, player personnel GM gets. I I wrote the other day, I, I can't believe he's coming back and not wanting the lion's share of power. I just can't believe that. To generalize college coaches, they are in full control of their program. Everything. Every facet. Right. And... Again, Harbaugh's already been in the NFL, so maybe it's a little bit different with him compared to somebody like if you were hiring away a coach who'd only ever coached in college. But they have complete control of their program. So Harbaugh, if he leaves Michigan and comes to the Raiders, it's going to be completely different if there is, in fact, a general manager in place yeah. that has, you know, basically control of the roster, right? Obvious, obviously, your GM and your head coach are going to talk and uh, figure out what's best yeah, for them to all do the time. right. There's going to be concessions or whatever, but if there's a legitimate, if it's not the uh, Mike Mayock, John Gruden situation where Gruden has 51% of the power or whatever, if you have a general manager that has like, listen, if they get into a disagreement and the general manager says, okay, but we're doing this because I think this is better for the roster. If you actually have that, that's a huge, that's a completely different scenario than what Harbaugh's doing Absolutely. as a college head coach where he decides everything. Right. Yes. If he gets in a disagreement full, full with somebody at Michigan, like, he well, wins. Well, no, we're doing it the way that I think we right. should do it. So that's interesting to me because, and by the way, you bring up a good point. He might not want all the control. He might want to be able to say, you know what? That's somebody else's job. That's the general manager's job. I'm here to coach football. And yes, I have preferences, but ultimately somebody else is responsible for all the work and ultimately the decisions and the result on some of these things. Because if you're a head coach and you have full control and the team sucks, there's nobody else to blame but right. yourself. Whereas eh, they don't work out for a couple of years. You might say, well, my roster's not good enough. And GM over here got a very good job drafting. So we're going to blame him. So it is, it's interesting because I would generally assume anybody coming from college to the NFL is going to want that full control simply yes. because that's basically what they've been doing at the college level but maybe Harbaugh's different. Maybe he doesn't. And maybe because he's already worked in the NFL, he understands well, exactly. that and knows that might be a benefit to it. Maybe he's gone through it enough to better than, let's say, if Dabo Sweeney came to the NFL and wanted all the power because he's never done it before. Maybe Jim Harbaugh was through it enough in San Francisco to understand why would I want to have that if I'm the one who's going to be criticized the most. Yeah. I'll just coach. But again, I still think if it comes down to two players in the draft, and he wink winks and he says, I really want that guy. <laughs> I'll be surprised if a GM would go over his head and say, no, we're taking player B. I, I would just be surprised at that. On the GM side. So Ed Dodds, who's an executive with the Colts, he withdrew his name from the Bears general manager uh, search. When you saw that news earlier this week, did you see that and immediately think? Because he's uh, interviewing for the Raiders job as well or has already interviewed. Did you see that and immediately think, oh, Maybe he's interested or maybe he's about to take or maybe he's going to get offered 
the Raiders GM job? Or did you just see that and think, oh, wow, the Bears suck, and of course he turned down the Bears? No, I, the think, Bears. I think if you pull your name out of one and are interviewing for the other, you have more interest in the other. Now, I don't know if he's any kind of leader in the clubhouse or you know he's the guy that Mark Davis wants, but when you fully pull your name out of an NFL GM job, and there, you know, there's not many. You know, there's only well, there's not even 32 of them because of Belichick and some other guys. Um, you think right away that the Raiders are the one he wants. It's an interesting scenario because apparently Ed Dodds has in the past withdrew his name from from general manager searches. Like this is not the first off season that he's interviewed to be a GM, and he's pulled his name out before. Uh, I think it was Zach Kiefer who covers the Colts in Indy, uh, Indiana who tweeted that he's been pick, that he's going to be picky, that he's told him he's going to be picky if he ever takes a GM job, that he's not just going to take the first general manager job, that he's going to take one that he thinks he can succeed at. And obviously that's not the Bears. No. <laughs> but it is interesting that he would view the Raiders in in higher regard than the Bears. Because I don't know that I would consider the Raiders significantly better off than the Bears right now. I mean, they did make the playoffs, but I don't know that I would say the, I mean, they're not like in a second tier. It's not like you're taking over the bills, right? Like the Raiders might be a little bit better than the bears, but I don't think it's like significant enough to where you say, no, thank you to the bears. I'm all in on the Raiders. Maybe you saw that last regular season game and said, Hey, I like that team. Look at what they just did to us. That might be the team I should be the GM of. They've got their kicker and punter locked kicker, up. My man. biggest problem is I, solved. I've got Daniel Carlson for the next several years. I'm done. So I, it's interesting when you see somebody pull their name out, especially when they haven't pulled their name out of another job when it's the Bears versus the Raiders here. So we'll see what happens there with that Dodds. Um, what do you think of the odds here? So this is from Bet Online, not a Las Vegas uh, or United States based sports book, but odds to be the next Raiders head coach. Jim Harbaugh the favorite at two to one, Rich Basaccia number two at five to two. And then Doug Peterson, Mike Tomlin, Dabo Sweeney, Byron Leftwich, David Shaw, Eric Bieniemy, Sean Payton, Todd Bowles, all ten to one or better. Uh, what interests me was Basachi at five to two, because I don't think Basachi is getting the job at all. I don't either. I don't think he's getting the job. So that interests me a little more than Peterson at five to one. Tomlin at seven to one might be a might be a good bet. I don't think he's coming, but seven to one is not bad. Uh, Dabo. I think he had his time on the sidelines, and that's not happening. But one name in the Bay Area people keep talking about is David Shaw. I've heard, I've I've seen it written. I've seen it heard. David Shaw, the uh, Stanford coach, ten to one. I know a few Stanford people who want to deliver him and will pay for the limo <laughs> uh, to Las Vegas. It's so, always good. Yeah, I mean that, that's always good. Uh, people who went to Stanford who have been trying to limo him out for a while. Uh, so, again, all those odds mean nothing, obviously, other than I thought Basachi was interesting that he'd be 5-2. to two. I don't know what they're – it's it's not even where, – where, where is it from? Bet online. Okay. Yeah, like .ag or something like okay. that. So, you know, yeah. reputable. I just um, don't think Basachi's getting it. No, I mean, for Rich Basachia to get it, I think one of two things would have to happen. Either one, Mark Davis would just have to love the guy or listen to the players that love the guy. I don't think either one of those is happening or you'd have to hire a general manager who's like, oh yeah, Rich Versace did a great job. I want to keep right, that going. Right. That seems unlikely. I mean, it's possible, but it just seems unlikely that that would happen, that he would be the head coach. Third option is everyone else you want to hire gets a job. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's possible. I mean, I think there's enough, there's enough coordinators out there that have been interviewing that there's not enough NFL head coaching jobs. 
Not open. I mean, yes. Like there's, they've interviewed like the Broncos have interviewed like twelve yeah. people. There's not twelve jobs open. Have you? I mean, I guess my question is, uh, is the Raiders a good enough job that you would be like, no, no, I don't want to be the Broncos head coach. I want to be the Raiders head coach. No, I'm saying there's twelve candidates and what are there six open jobs? Even if you finish sixth out of sixth, there's still seven other candidates you get to choose from that you could say are better than Rich Passaccia. But your players don't love those other. Yeah, they will. Derek Carr is going to love whoever. The, the, yeah. the second they hire somebody, Derek yes. Carr is going to say, "I love this guy. He's great. It's going to be great for my." Career. I think he's great. Next day, we're trading him. <laughs> I don't think he's as great anymore. <laughs> All right, coming up next, the hell's wrong with the Mountain West Network? Jackson loses the ball. Vic Iwako dives for it, and they call a foul on Vic, and that is oh, come on, unbelievable. Man. Both players diving for the basketball. That is a horrible, horrible call. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. I actually saw that play. As one of the few you saw. It was a foul on Victor Ewok. He, he dove on top of a guy who was already on the ground. That's a foul. <laughs> Every time. Um... <laughs> I would like to take a few minutes today to let you know that the Mountain West Network sucks. Uh, UNLV played Air Force yesterday, and game was supposed to be on the Mountain West Network. The Basically, the entire first half was missed because of a terrible stream. First off, the stream did not start until about five seconds before tip-off. Uh, so unless you were, like, refreshing your browser right at tip-off, you probably missed the start of the game. We got about a minute 15 in. We a minute 15 of no problems after that. And then it froze. And then we just got an occasional 10 seconds of play followed by a frozen screen for like a minute for the rest of the first half until they finally just shut the stream down. Then for the second half, they moved it off the Mountain West Network and just put it on YouTube on a live stream. We got to watch like eight minutes of the second half and then it was gone again. They got it to come back, and the game finished streaming on YouTube without any more issues. But what you basically just had was in 2022, a Division I basketball game between teams in the Mountain West. This isn't some, like, small, tiny conference. This is, like, the seventh, eighth biggest conference in college basketball that could not be watched by people that were not in the building because the Mountain West doesn't have the capabilities to stream games online without problems. It's pathetic. Unbelievably pathetic that we could not watch the first half of UNLV Air Force last night. Give myself a golf clap for watching the Golden Knights instead. <laughs> I, was, I was actually following your Twitter. I'm like, why would I bother with this? The game started at six. You could have dealt with all this and then turned over to the Golden yeah, Knights. it's probably not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. Though. That, the first thing I thought of is exactly what you put down there. 2022, and we can't get a basketball game either streamed or on TV. Right. And I, I actually thought, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I did at 6 o'clock go through the TV to see if it was on television. Ooh, no, no, But no, then no, no. I went to uh, the website of UNLV Athletics, and I saw that it was on the Mountain West Network. I said, that's a lot of, pro that's a lot of trouble for me. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know if I can go to that trouble to do this. I just tweet Tyler every game and just go, is this on TV? And he normally <laughs> The, the rest of their games should be on television. Now, granted, 
Like this one, for example. Won't be good for them if they play like they did last night. Like this one, for example, was a reschedule. So I can give a little bit of a break for a game maybe not being on TV when they are having to reschedule stuff on the fly. I can give a little bit of a break. But the Mountain West Network should be a competent way for games to be viewed. Because here's the other part of this. UNLV's non-conference schedule. If you remember, every home game they played at Thomas and Mack in the non-conference was streamed on the Mountain West mm-hmm. Network, right? They did not have a single home game picked up by television. They were all streamed on the Mountain West Network. So they've played, like, what is that, eight, nine games now that have been on the Mountain West Network. This is every year. You know he's going to have five to ten games that are on the Mountain West Network. It's got to be better than this. Here's the issue. Didn't they play UCLA? Yeah, UCLA was on the Mountain West it Network. It was streamed? Yeah, mm-hmm. because the UCLA game was on a Saturday of, what was that, the conference? championship weekend of college football okay that's the UNLV's two biggest home games in the non-conference were Saturdays during college football season okay. so CBS right. Sports Network FS1 ESPN are all like uh, we got college football okay so we're not putting you on TV to lose by 10 so but the but here's the here's what the Mountain West has to do they have to actually invest in their Mountain West Network because what they currently do is they basically just leave it up to the schools to do their own broadcast. Oh. There's not like there's not like a Mountain West Network broadcast team that goes to these locations and, you know, has a TV truck and puts the broadcast right. on. It's literally just up to the schools themselves to do it. And a lot of schools they don't have like a broadcasting department within right. the athletic department. Right. It's people who don't work in broadcasting trying to put these on the stream. To put these on and they fail quite a bit even when it goes well. The stream's still bad quality. Like, it's it's still not a great viewing experience, even when things go well. And last night, things went about as poorly as they possibly can. It's specifically the stream? No one no one doing play-by-play? No, there's play-by-play. Yeah. There's people that call the game as announcers. From, the, I, from the specific school. Right, exactly. Like, when it's on UNLV, like, Steve Cofield's done some okay. when it's here at UNLV. So it's like, yeah, there's, there's announcers. But it's all. Some of them are not great. Yeah, it's all school well, specific. Expect, right. Yeah. But if the Mountain West is going to actually have every team in the conference play roughly eight games on this network for for uh, basketball every year, they've got to actually invest in this. They've got to actually put some money and resources behind this. Otherwise, you get an absolute nightmare like last night was, where you can't watch UNLV play a conference game because the stream sucks. Like. They have to actually invest in this because what they're doing now and what they've been doing for a while is they just leave it up to the school. Yeah, you guys figure it out. We don't need to spend any extra money. And it doesn't work. Yeah. It it, it doesn't work because there's not – the schools don't have official broadcasting departments to actually do this. Do you think the Mountain West is aware these things happen? I mean, they were aware last night because they got it up and running on YouTube. They were like, oh, they, they kind of sort of fixed it. You missed a whole half of basketball, but they kind of sort of fixed it. They're aware it sucks. They know their streaming service isn't very good. I think for them, though, it's just probably not worth it because what do you do? It's you know a few hundred people that were really trying to watch UNLV play Air Force last night. Like, there's just not the big demand for it. That's the issue at the end of the day is there's not a massive demand for it. Like, if this was SEC basketball game that was supposed to be streamed online and nobody could watch it there'd be demand for yes, it right there'd but be enough for unlv air force basketball there's just not enough demand i think for the mountain west to actually care there's not enough people upset at them 
for them to actually do anything about it, I think is the problem at the end of the day, because they're like, yeah, we could spend all this money to get this running well, or we could just deal with 112 people that are mad, that at, are us. mad at us. We'll just deal with the 112 people that are mad at us right. is what they'll do. But it leads to, you can't watch UNLV play basketball. And granted, UNLV hasn't been very good this year. Well, they weren't but, very good last night. But imagine if UNLV had won some of those games in the non-conference and this team was like a legit NCAA tournament contender and they're playing a game at Air Force. They'd have plenty of people interested yes. in watching it and you wouldn't have been able to last night. It would have been, A, you're angry that UNLV is somehow losing to Air Force by double digits and B, you can't even watch the damn game so it's even more infuriating. So, disaster. Also a disaster UNLV on the court. How the hell did they lose to Air Force? Uh, 69-62. I mean, I couldn't see um, the first half, and it so was, I couldn't tell you what happened then. I think it was bad from the beginning. I followed well, the score. Well, they got out to a nine-point lead. Yeah. They had a nine-point lead, like, I don't know, six minutes in. And then it all fell apart. I don't know what happened in the first half. Kevin Kruger, after the game, said their defensive intensity slipped at, like, the 10-minute mark. He was like, we just stopped playing hard defense. Okay, I didn't see it. I'll take your word for it, Kevin. Uh, I will tell you this. Air Force scored 1.13 points per possession last night. That's the second most efficient game they have had all season long. Like UNLV supposed to be good defensively was terrible against Air Force. It was the fourth highest points per possession. And look UNLV at the other three teams. Allowed. Yeah. UCLA, US, uh, San Francisco, and SMU are the only teams that have scored more efficiently against UNLV than Air Force did. Like that was so a lot of this going off box score because we didn't see the game. Air Force took a lot of free throws. 24 is a big number for Air Force. And they didn't shoot any mid-range jumpers. They took eight in that game. So Air Force was getting layups, threes, and free throws, the three efficient shots that you want in basketball. So UNLV, uh, from the second half and what Kevin Kruger said, it just looks like they were, I don't know, disinterested a little bit. Like there wasn't the intensity that was there to just stop Air Force from getting whatever look they wanted. So you lose a game because of it. And because nobody not named Bryce Hamilton. I was just saying, no one Bryce Hamilton or Donovan Williams could do anything. <laughs> 32 points for Bryce Hamilton, 18 for Donovan Williams, 11 for everybody else. It's not very good. <laughs> they didn't have Josh Baker. They had a starter out, and they didn't have Marvin Coleman. So they were a little shorthanded, but I don't uh, think anybody would say, oh, Air Josh Force? Baker and Marvin. Yeah. Yeah, come on. You wouldn't say Josh Baker and Marvin Coleman. Got to have those guys no. to take down Air Force, but it happened. All right, coming up next. Ben Brown joins the show. Incredible feeling to bring a Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl to the city, because it deserves it. It deserves it bad. And the fans, uh, these are exciting times for the fans, and it's exciting times for myself as well. So hopefully hopefully we can uh, we can do that for the fans. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. All right, Ben, we got eight teams left. If you were betting futures, who would you be betting to win the AFC and the NFC right now? Yeah, I'm still I'm still leaning on my Chiefs heavily. I do think that they're going to handle business here. Obviously, the spread has moved, uh, you know, not necessarily in their direction here against the Bills on Sunday night. But I definitely still think they are the team to beat uh, in the AFC and NFC. Oofed, I do I do think we're going to see a solid performance for the Packers. So I'm going a little chalky here, but I do think we're going to have, you know, a Packers. Uh, Chiefs Super Bowl happening, and I, I think that's probably the, the best case scenario for the NFL. If it's not the Packers, we know he's had uh, issues against the Niners uh, before in the playoffs. Uh, what what should uh, the Packers be most worried about this week? I mean, is San Francisco getting five and a half? Yeah, definitely. So I mean, <laughs> there obviously is some concerns. I think you look back to you know that Week Three matchup against you know uh, the Packers 49ers when they you know had that game. I do think that uh, in that matchup. 
Uh, the Packers were capable and probably should have actually blown up the San Francisco 49ers. So I don't have a ton of concerns uh, from Green Bay's perspective this weekend. I do think that uh, there was, you know, a dropped interception in the first quarter. If they catch that pass off of Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, they go up 17 to, 17 to nothing. They were up 17 to nothing basically before uh, they allowed a pretty significant kickoff return right before halftime. That's when the 49ers went up 17 to seven. And then it was kind of a choppy game. Uh, from there, but a lot of opportunities for the Packers that they left on the field in that week three match. But I do think that uh, maybe this idea that the 49ers kind of matched really well against them uh, is a little bit overstated just based on how that final, uh, you know, fourth quarter and that overall game kind of finished at 30 to 28. So I think people are probably putting too much stock in the end result, uh, not so much in how we actually arrived in that game. So I like the Packers five and a half here quite a bit. I do think that uh, they're going to handle business here. I do think the 49ers are a little bit overrated, uh, both from you know the betting perspective and power rankings perspective right now. If we were removing a player because of injury and then seeing how the spread would adjust, who do you think would be worth more, Debo Samuel or Jimmy Garoppolo? It would be it would it would be Jimmy Garoppolo more so based on the fact that. Uh, you know, Trey Lance hasn't shown anything whatsoever for us right now, right? So, uh, Jim, uh, you know, Debo Samuel has kind of been the key to that 49ers offense, but he's not really going to move it more than a half a point, even across like a key number or something like that. I do think Jimmy Garoppolo probably worth, you know, closer to three points when you factor in, you know, dropping down to Trey Lance in a lot of situations. So, uh, but there are, you know, concerns, right? I mean, obviously it sounds like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be able to play, uh, that's fine. Is he going to be 100%? I do think that is an entirely different question. Nick Bosa kind of seems to be the one that maybe is a little bit more questionable, uh, and I do think that is going to be a pretty significant loss if it does actually happen uh, for the 49ers here on Saturday. Does Randall Cobb mean anything? He doesn't mean a ton, no. I would say that, uh, you know, Marcus Valdez-Scantling is doubtful, not going to play. I think he is a much bigger loss than what the addition of Randall Cobb is, right? I do think, uh, you know, the success that the Packers had in that week three match against the 49ers, uh, it, it was a lot of deep shots, right? Mark Spell, the scale, had a good catch. Alan Lazard kind of opened things up on their first drive, uh, catching a deep pass as well. So a lot of the success they had offensively came on some of those deep shots. Without Marcus Valdez scantling in the fold, uh, it, it, it just doesn't open up the things underneath that they need to do to be successful. So I think Alan Lazard can kind of bring in uh, some of that optionality for the Packers offense. But, uh, you know, Valdez Scantling has been one of the better deep threats uh, in the NFL the past two seasons, just based on the fact that, you know, he's only really targeted deep. But uh, I do think that that's probably a bigger loss than what the addition of Randall Cobb is. So I would say that no, Randall Cobb coming back in uh, probably isn't too much of an upgrade for the Packers offense. In the Tampa-LA game, the Bucks have lost receivers. They've lost weapons throughout the year for Tom Brady, and their offensive line is not exactly healthy. Do you think that catches up to them this week, or are they still going to be fine? I, I mean, I, I think it's I – w- I want to say that at some stage it is going to catch up to them, but it hasn't yet, right? I do think that I was trying to maybe get ahead of the curve in some ways, and I did think that they were going to struggle offensively. Uh, and Tom Brady almost seems immune to – you know, any sort of difficulties at the pass catching position, right? If you can get it done with guys like Giovanni Bernard, you know, Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans winning some matchups deep. Uh, you know, Tyler Johnson obviously has the drop issue and a couple other things happening. But, uh, you know, Tom Brady has always kind of been immune to that. But I do think the offensive line, if Tristan Wirfs isn't able to go, that's a huge loss. Ryan Jensen, huge loss as well, especially against the Rams defense that, you know, is the best of the best in the NFL, uh, especially along that front four. So, 
uh, yeah, I think it, 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 at any point, this is going to be uh, the time where it finally does catch up to Tom Brady, even though uh, it hasn't necessarily played out like a lot of us have projected uh, recently either. So, Is this a last impression thing uh, that we get in betting a lot? They're uh, getting three, but this is a last impression thing of what they looked like last week with the Rams, that people are going to kind of overvalue them? Yeah, I think so. And I also think there is, you know, still the injury concern, like we just talked about with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I do think that uh, is folding in. Obviously, you know, the cluster sort of injury situation that they have happening at both the wide receiver and offensive line positions uh, is really difficult when you when you look at the matchup, right? And I do think that if it was a different team outside of the Rams, we have, a, you know, by far the number one best defense in the NFL. Uh, it probably wouldn't be as drastic, but uh, I do think so. I do think some of it, you know, playing into it is definitely, you know, the Rams' performance last week, but more so probably uh, the injury situation for Tampa Bay has just continued to get worse and worse. Ben Brown with us from Pro Football Focus. Ben, I know you tweeted out a graph of uh, the, like, wins above replacement that teams lost this year due to injury. Uh, what did you take away from that? Obviously, you had a team like the Ravens at the very top of that list, but you also had the Bills at the very bottom. Did you have any big takeaways from which teams lost the most war from injuries? I think there's, you know, definitely some spots probably to, like to factor in how you're going to handle betting some futures here in the offseason. I do think, you know, obviously a team like the Cincinnati Bengals had a ton of injury luck, fourth lowest uh, on that particular graph. Uh, and, and, and the Ravens and the Browns were one and three, right? So I do think the AFC North in general probably isn't as uh, directionally going in the way that the Bengals want to here in the future. So that would be a spot that I'm kind of taking away from it. Uh, but other than that, I do think there are some teams that definitely exceeded expectations based on the injury situation. I know, you know, Arizona Cardinals kind of leave a bitter taste in the mouth, but they dealt with a lot of injuries all season long. Uh, you know, 49ers as well have, have responded really well from those sort of situations. So I do think that uh, the main takeaway is going to be that, you know, some of these teams that have a ton of injury luck in 2021 aren't going to necessarily see that carry forward in 2022. And I think that's the reason that maybe, you know, some of these futures could should be a lot tighter priced uh, than what the market's probably going to open up at. Why is the money going towards Buffalo? I mean, that is a good question. I do think you obviously look back to the week five game that they had. Uh, I do think that was kind of a low point for the Chiefs in a lot of way. Uh, but people want to take, you know, take the fact that, you know, the Bills basically blew out the Chiefs. And that was kind of their one really dominant performance in the regular season. I think that's maybe one reason why, but I'm not entirely sure. I do think, you know, the two, two and a half to one and a half doesn't really mean a whole lot from you know, a probability standpoint of the, the game actually landing on that particular number. So uh, you're not really crossing any key numbers going from two and a half to one and a half. So that maybe is influencing it a little bit. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting. I do think the Chiefs are the correct side in a lot of ways. I know you want to look at, you know, that week five game, really weird game. I do think Tyreek Hill, I think it was like a second highest target volume uh, on the season, but he just didn't have anything going on deep. 6.1 average depth of target. Worst passing game. Uh, from the Chiefs' perspective, especially throwing deep. Uh, but a lot of that was Tredavious White. So I do think that you're just expecting uh, the Bills to be able to, you know, completely shut down this Chiefs' offense once again. Uh, is probably just a little bit overstated. They did have a few turnovers, obviously, from like a high pick six. Played a big, big part in that game. They also had kind of that, like, flare out screen. When, they were, when the Chiefs were in the red zone, I uh, get picked off as well. So if you put those points on the board, I do think it's a lot tighter of a matchup uh, in that particular game. So, I don't know. I do think the Chiefs are the correct side at anything before a field goal differential. I don't really buy into the market direction, but uh, I'm not valuing it too much just based on the numbers that, that were crossed in this particular instance. If the Raiders hired Jim Harbaugh, would you be more or less likely to bet their win total next year? 
I would probably be more likely, right? I do think, you know, it obviously sounds like it's coming out of like Rich Versace if you want to bring him back or Jim Harbaugh. I do think that, you know, Harbaugh has demonstrated success at the NFL and college football level that we all know, right? And I do think the reason why I buy into that is that he did it with, you know, Colin Kaepernick, a quarterback that a lot of people don't necessarily label as, you know, a top three, top five best, PF, you know, best passing quarterback in the NFL at that time, right? So if you have a guy, a coach that's capable of kind of winning with a quarterback that isn't necessarily doing it all through the air, uh, that that intrigues me, especially in a spot like Las Vegas where, you know, Derek Carr, for all intents and purposes, great as a top 10 PFF passing quarterback in 2021, but uh, I don't know if he's ever going to reach the upper, upper echelon of being a top three guy in the NFL, even for one season. So if you have a coach that has the demonstrated success of actually getting to the Super Bowl with a guy that isn't necessarily providing that, uh, that's a spot that I definitely want to buy into. So I do like the fit with Jim, Har- with Jim Harbaugh uh, heading to Las Vegas if they can make that happen. Last game to talk about, uh, and there's just no believers that I know of in Tennessee. They're at home. Uh, Cincinnati lost a lot of players last week. They're getting three and a half. What do you think of this one? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Cincinnati. I know that is pretty chalky. I do think basically everybody uh, is on Cincinnati for the most part. You know, Tennessee Titans are getting healthy. If they get up early, they can obviously ride Derrick Henry. We haven't seen that uh, in quite some time. But I think I think we see the Bengals start off hot, uh, and I don't think that, uh, you know, Titans riding Ryan Tannehill with even, you know, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones back and healthy. I just don't think they're going to be able to potentially keep pace with an offense that's playing uh, as close to their ceiling as anybody in the NFL right now. So I like the Bengals. I like their offense performance. I do think that they're going to be successful downfield with Jamar Chase once again. So uh, give me the plus three and a half. I do think it should be probably closer to, you know, field goal differential or even, you know, plus two and a half is really where I would probably not want to get involved with Cincinnati's side. Well, he has been Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. Yep, thanks. Have a great show. You too. So, Ben Brown on the NFL playoffs. As we got eight teams left. Nobody likes the Titans. No, it's okay. Do you? I don't, I don't like them either. I don't like to watch them. They got a lot of good wins too, though. Like most of their wins are against good teams. They, I think, what they had the most wins over teams with a winning record in NFL history this year. And nobody believes yeah, in Yeah, nobody thinks they're any good. So they'll beat the Bengals, and we'll be sitting around saying, yeah, yeah. they're no good in the AFC title the game. They're playing the Chiefs. They have no in, chance. They'll be in the Super Bowl. Hey, they're not actually very good. Get them out of here. Ridiculous. Coming up next, the Tampa Bay Rays don't get to go to Montreal. Swing and a high fly ball, right field, coming over, getting under it, and making the catch for the third and final out to put the ball game away. The Marlins have done the job. They win this one two to one. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. So the Tampa Bay Rays are not going to be splitting half their season between Tampa and Montreal. And it's Major League Baseball that killed that off, which I think is the funny part in this story. I thought they weren't supposed to be doing anything right now. They just can't talk to the players. They well, can do whatever I, I, they want. I, I, don't, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like that they're actually making decisions and they can't talk to the players. The players can't have their pictures on any websites. They can they can relocate. They can rebrand. I don't like relocate. Oh, don't say that around here. Oh, boy, well, not the A's. <laughs> but so, okay, Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Rays, 
their owners have come out and said the only way that baseball can exist in Tampa is if they play half the seasons in Montreal. That is legitimately what they have said right. for the last like two years because they can't get it. Well, they can't get a new ballpark with public money, I guess, in Tampa is the issue for the Tampa Bay Rays owners. They don't want to pay for their own because nobody wants to pay. Nobody, for their nobody own. owner wants to do that. So their plan was like, well, nobody comes to our games in Tampa. They're not going to pay for us to have a new ballpark. Uh, We're going to play half our games in Montreal because maybe Montreal will give us some money to build a ballpark and we'll sell out games in Montreal. I'm sure is what they were thinking. Well, Major League Baseball came along this week and said, no, that's not happening, which I find to be funny because the owner of the Tampa Bay Rays basically said yesterday, we were stunned that Major League Baseball killed it, right? This wasn't like... Montreal killing right. it. Right, wasn't Montreal killing it. It wasn't like, oh, it, the, the reaction from the fan base was so bad we had to kill it. This wasn't like they had to come. They were going to have to come to special agreements with the Players Association because like players are going to have to play in not only in two different cities, two different countries. Right. And we're going to have to like buy houses in two different countries and all that stuff. So they were going to have to come to special agreements. with the players. It wasn't that. It was just Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball said, no, that's stupid. You're not doing that, which... It is stupid. They shouldn't be doing that. I just find it funny that Major League Baseball is the one that came in and said, nah, you're not doing that. Who's the Dave Cobble of Tampa Bay? It's a good question. Is he coming to Vegas anytime I think he soon? might be over the Tropicana right now <laughs> looking at some kind of land deal that he can uh, spend a billion dollars on building a stadium. Uh, we better get stories of somebody oh, from I hope, Tampa Bay I hope so much that once Vegas. the A's actually becomes official that they're not coming here. I hope it happens before the A's are official. I it's, hope, all of a sudden, uh, yes. it's all of a sudden a bidding war between yes. two teams that really won't come here? Yes, it'll be great. They'll both say, hey, we're in Vegas together. We could share a stadium <laughs> yeah, in Vegas. Exactly. Look at oh that. My Forget God, Montreal. Please. <laughs> well, the only Vegas. way we'll give you public money is if you share a stadium with the Rays. But we get two teams. What's fascinating is we just saw the Oakland A's use Las Vegas as leverage to get money out of Oakland, right? They threatened to move here. Their president came here like 37 times, went to a Golden Knights game, and ultimately it looks like they're going to get near a billion dollars out of Oakland to help them build a ballpark in Oakland. The interesting part about Tampa Bay is they kind of already tried to use another city, yes. Montreal, as leverage against Tampa, and they it still can't work. get what they want in Tampa. So they were like, well, we're going to play half our season there. So I don't know that there's a, like, I don't know that the idea of using another city as leverage, I don't think that exists for the Tampa Bay Rays, because I think Tampa is just going to say, whatever. <laughs> okay, do that. So it, it's fascinating. So I don't know what happens next for Tampa Bay. They have... Their lease at their current ballpark runs through 2027. Uh, they said yesterday that t- like 2023, maybe 2024 is pretty much the timeline for when they would have to have a new stadium plan in place for them to play in a new stadium in the 2028 season when their lease is up at their current ballpark. Um, billion dollars, and they say they'd have to put a roof on it because they're in Florida. Right. Um I don't know how likely this is. I don't know what happens to the Tampa Bay Rays because I, it doesn't I, seem likely they get a bunch of money out of Tampa. I mean, if everyone realizes what's happening in Oakland, are you going to be surprised at all? Rob Manfred said, hey, didn't work out with the A's, but it uh, seemed like Vegas was a little interested. Why don't you head there? Are Were we interested? No. The Tropicana was. <laughs> They're about to make a lot of money on their land. <laughs> but, like, if you're going to build, like, in, in the scenario where Tampa's not going to give you money, and Las Vegas, as we've heard, we're, we're not giving the A's money, so why would we give the Tampa Bay Rays money? 
Like if you're in a scenario where Tampa will give you money and Vegas won't give you money, aren't you just staying in Tampa? Yeah. Right. And aren't you just better off staying in Tampa rather than moving to a smaller market? And well, if you're not getting public money, we're not going to get public money for a ballpark. Right. So I, it just, it doesn't seem like there's any reason now, if, uh, what are the East coast, like Nashville or something, if Nashville was Portland, like, yeah, out in the West, Nashville is like, Hey, here's $500 million. Yeah. Come build a ballpark. Then they might move to Nashville. Like that, that could happen, but it's just, they're going to have to find a city that would actually be willing to give them money. And then maybe Tampa comes up and says, well, we, maybe we don't want to lose the raise. So here's something, but I don't know that that happens. I don't know how many cities are willing to give the Tampa Bay Rays a bunch of money. I absolutely want them coming here on your oh, business. Great. Oh, it'd be awesome. What if Cobble and the Rays people showed up to the same side at the same time and neither knew that they were coming? Hey, Dave, what are you doing here? What's going on? <laughs> Why are you here? Uh, be amazing. Dave Cobble ever coming back? No. He's about to get a billion dollars. I, I mean, we could call him. He's a friend of the show. <laughs> Did you see uh, his quotes yesterday about um, he told the commission, hey, could have a shovel in the ground in a year. That's right. It's like, <laughs> I mean, how quickly has this kid changed right. his way? If, he... if he's changed his way at all, though, if he's changed his way at all, they called his bluff, man. They called his bluff big time and said, okay, well, we're going to approve this. We're going to send it to the council. They're going to approve it. Now what are you going to do? Yeah. Which is great. He's going to get a billion dollars yeah. is what he's going to do. Yeah. He's going to be fine. He played it perfectly. He deserves a raise. <laughs> hey, I'd give Dave Cobble a raise. <laughs> He got a billion dollars. He's going to get a billion dollars out of Oakland just by taking a few business trips to Vegas. What a job.